This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. You're a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Morin. Time to get back into the geek, my friends. We've talked a lot about ships, special effects, origins like the cloaking device. Now we dive deep into the space stations. Of Star Trek. Uh, this is where we go, right? Now we're going to have some fun. So during the TV run, obviously their budget didn't allow for like large creative space stations like the ones we observed in the movies. And most of the TV shows had the star bases on planets, except for... Good old K-7, right on the Klingon border, storing <laughs> some grain in their storage compartments and just... Storage compartments, storage compartments. It's pretty much the entire station was made up of storage compartments. The what, the what? <laughs> <laughs> but let's take a look at uh, some of the space stations we got to see, and maybe we'll point out where they were used and reused from time to time across the Trekverse. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- I, I, I enjoy going into these types of shows because, obviously, the original series is where it all began, and... Um, they use so much of what came out of the Star Trek original series movies and all the other series. It's a lot of cool space stations, right? Uh, so, as we said before, we're not going to be talking about good old Starbase 12, which is used a lot. Let's start off with, with K-7. You, re- you remember the first time you saw K-7, Zach? Trouble with Tribbles is one of those episodes that I don't really remember seeing for the first time. It's just something you always knew about in Star Trek. So I don't, I don't remember... Like, oh, wow, look, there's a space station. Because usually in the original series, you're out there on the frontier. You don't run into other ships. When you do, they look just like yours because, you know, <laughs> budget. But That's right. I, I liked how the fleet looked all the same. You know, that added a sense of continuity. You know, the, the budgetary constraints forced them to have a nice sense of continuity across the, the fleet. And, you know, whenever you see something that's not a Constitution-class starship on the original series, it's a big deal. So when you see K-7, you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is a whole other thing. This is a whole other design. This is cool. Yeah, and it, you know what? It was a it was a unique design. I thought it was it was kind of kind of interesting. It's it, it's makeover helps it a lot. But I remember the first time seeing it, going, "Wow, look at that! A, a real quote unquote space station." And interesting enough, right? I mean, it, it serves as a plot point. It's it's really big because we know Cyrano Jones is going to take forever and a day to clean up all the triples, right? It's just it's just enormous in size and scope. And it's it's tough to capture that, but um, you know I, I thought that uh, it was it was kind of cool for Star Trek to go into that direction. They set it up, I thought, pretty cool with the Klingons and it being a um, a shelter for for anyone who wishes to uh, 
to come aboard, right? That's kind of the part of the Organian Peace Treaty. And I think that's the first time we actually hear the Peace Treaty being announced in the show. Right, a rare bit of continuity from the original series where they reference something that happened in, in a previous episode. You know, this is a very, you know, different uh, environment than we get to see a lot of times on, you know, the original series. Because, again, they're out there in space, they're on the Enterprise, they're by themselves. They're not interacting with just other Earth cultures or earth people or situations like that so you know there's like a bar here people are hanging out it's a very very relaxed environment right right and i think uh when when deep space nine recreated it uh it gave it some scale right because you could see both the uh the enterprise and the klingon warship kind of orbiting it and then in the remastered version i don't know if they use the same clips or not but they look they didn't, but I'll tell you this. I, as has been established on this podcast, I always prefer physical models. So I, I much do prefer the trials and tribulations, recreations of these ships and, and models and situations. Not to say the remastered is bad or anything, but just like, oh man, that's the kind of stuff that makes me wish they, <laughs> which makes me wish they use models for Star Trek remastered because it looks looks so good uh, on Deep Space Nine. Well, what was the difference? I, I know I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I think I've seen Trials and Tribulations. That was the latest one I've seen, and I thought it looked pretty good. And the Enterprise looked really good, uh, especially you know when they show it up on the screen. But compared to the remastered version, what were some of the things that you noticed that were different? Well, I can't list off exact shots or anything like that. You know, because remastered, it's they they were on a very tight budget. You know, they didn't get near the amount of time or resources to do what they really wanted to do. I mean, the Okudas have talked about all the fun things they really wish they could have had time for. They did a lot of stuff like on their own time, like overtime, just because they were such big fans. So, look, not to not to slight the remastered team at all for what they had to do, but you know, it just it looks it looks a little it's it's like okay, two thousand CGI. It's like okay, that's what that looks like. You know, that's television CGI. That's fine. But when you have models there and the lighting and the way it plays off it, there's something in there's something in the back of your mind that knows that's really there. That's a physical thing, and to me, that's what makes it stand out more than you know, the remastered version. So of the two, I prefer the Deep Space Nine, but of course, the remaster just looks a lot better than the original series because you know they they were on a shoestring budget. You know, talk about the remastered having limited resources. The original series had like no no resources at the time. Oh, I know it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's probably the toughest one, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it served its purpose for the storytelling. And I, yeah, well, credit I, to them for actually show making the model, though, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's a going yeah. that's going above and beyond. And, and it's a very creative design. It doesn't look like it's not, it's not like they kit bashed the, the Enterprise into this, right? They didn't do a what they do right. on the Doomsday Machine, where they like, okay, let's go down to the store, let's get a model, let's figure out how to put this thing back together. This is a unique design. You know, you have the, like the cones and the bubbles that stick yeah. out on the arms. So you know, it's pretty progressive, and it, it looks almost like a proto Deep Space Nine. I wonder if when they were designing Deep Space Nine, they looked back to K Seven for some inspiration because you have like the pylons and the center hub, if you will. And mm-hmm. I can see, I know it's supposed to be a Cardassian station and all that, but I'm talking about outside of the universe of Star Trek, they, you know, behind the scenes, the creative process. They, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they use this as a point of reference when they came to, to draft up what Deep Space Nine would look like in the 90s. I, I think from a, um, just from an overall space station point of view design that goes beyond Star Trek and, and other series and shows, that, that is kind of a common thing to have, you know, these, these long corridors out to the docking bay. And you're right. I, even though they weren't docking bays per se, um, there was there was nothing to indicate that the ship could come alongside, as they just beamed over and back and forth all the time. But you're right. That 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 design was pretty cool, and I think it did kind of set a 
I'm trying to think if there was anything before that. And no, I'm not quite that old. But uh, I, I don't remember things before Star Trek or other space stations that kind of had that. That I might have. You know, I'm thinking um, like 2001. That was afterwards. That kind of had, you know, kind of a hub and spoke look to it. Um, uh, but at any rate, uh, yeah, it's it's it was it was neat. It it started, uh, um, I guess, getting people to uh, uh, to appreciate Star Trek and showing for the first time, you know, uh, that there were outposts out there. I mean, we have the asteroids from from a, a Balance of Terror and stuff, where we see a picture, but we don't really see what the outpost looks like, you know. Uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Would okay. you? Would you have wanted to see the Enterprise dock with K seven? That would have been cool, huh? I like that idea. Yeah, I, I, I love it in the uh, in the movies and the shows um, where they they actually do come alongside and they they do dock and you have the uh, the boarding ramps and all that stuff and you know they did a nice job of that uh, in TNG when they when they took you know well, we'll get into that but just 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 kind of that that whole look and feel of people walking walking through. Uh, you don't even get that really in Star Trek Three. You know, they just kind of show up. But uh, right. I assume that they're dark. But at any rate, yeah, we, we we'll, we'll get into that later. So um, the next time we see a a space dock is the movies, except in the Ultimate Computer Remastered Edition, right? Or did they show K Seven in that? Yeah. So in the Ultimate Computer, they go to you know a star base and they use stock footage from the Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, also another season two TOS episode and it's just, it's K seven again, right? It's like, okay, but Hey, that's cool. Like, I, I don't mind that again, the continuity of like, Oh, okay. All the starships look alike. Yeah. All the spaceships look alike. It just, it, it creates a realness to this world, uh, that there's a continuity in design. And, and that's, and if, if you extrapolate that into the real world, when you go places, you know, all the battleships look the same. <laughs> so that's how, that's how it works. So I, I like that, but they did took this opportunity when the remastered um, team got to do the Ultimate Computer, which is one of the episodes that everybody was looking forward to most for the remastered because the, the Ultimate Computer, infamous for their stock footage use, there's there's like a, a, a it's not even a split screen, it's like a quad screen, right, of like four Enterprise models coming at you, and it's clearly the same shot, and it's like, oh guys, I know you're trying, but that. <laughs> 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 so we with the you know one of the best episodes of remastered i think really showing off what they could do with more time uh more creativity more creative license you know I, i'm always giving cgi a hard time right now i'm gonna step back and say you know what i'm glad we had the cgi <laughs> in order for it to sh- in order to show all these different angles because you know if you have to do a model shot you know, have to set up all these multiple angles and all this it takes a lot of time if you're on a tv budget you're on the clock so they had the opportunity to show different angles of these different ships. You know, there's the Excalibur in there. Uh, there's uh, the Potemkin. There's, uh, you know, four other ships other than the Enterprise that are that are coming at you. So uh, they just went all out for this episode. This is one of the later remasters episodes. You know, the longer they went, the more time they could spend on the little details. And one of those little details was updating uh, the space station here. So, so it's not K-7 anymore. It's a Starbase Six, although this uh, label is not—it's not readable in any of the shots. But you know, we we now know it as Starbase Six, and uh, it's um, it's definitely from the same family as K Seven. If you guys have seen the remastered version, you know what I'm talking about. It's uh, it's like the center hub is a lot bigger and a lot longer, uh, and then the, the arms are a little shorter. So it's just like another configuration. I, w- I would compare it to you know the Enterprise and the Reliant, you know, from Star Trek Two. That would be like K Seven and Starbase Six here, and they actually took this design. 
uh, and used it for uh, Starbase 47 and the Vanguard novels by uh, David Mack. That's a very popular series of novels about, you know, a space station in the original series era. You know, basically like, you know, a Deep Space Nine kind of storytelling but in the 23rd century, uh, and so you know, if it's if you if you go to your local bookstore and look on the look on the bookshelf in the sci-fi section, the Star Trek section, you'll see a lot of these books, and you'll see this uh, Starbase design on the covers. Well, which came first, the novels or the remastered version? I'm assuming the novels. The, came the re first, the right? remastered version. Oh, it did. Oh, okay. We had the animated series, and then we had the remastered version uh, of Star Trek get inspiration from the animated series and various starship designs right and then right. It, it turns back around and we have you know star trek other media of star trek like the novels taking inspiration from remastered so i, I like cool. it it keeps that strain of you know the star trek uh, flavor going throughout across all the media so a very small part of this episode because you know they stop they go uh mm-hmm. the starbase doesn't play a big role but just another cool thing that they went above and beyond for on Star Trek Remastered. So, because I'm worried, I'm worried sometimes I feel I sound a little too negative about Star Trek Remastered. <laughs> but because <laughs> I'm always, I like models, and that's you know that's been well established. That's my thing. But uh, but they did some really cool little things, really going above and beyond like that. That's a nice little touch they did for the Ultimate Computer. No, I hear you, and it's it. You're fairly consistent. And when we talked about uh, practically CGI, when we <laughs> that was a fun episode. Um, yeah, we, I think we, we, we talked about the ability for CGI to enhance uh, and to improve, and that's what they did with this, and that's that that's perfectly fine. And if you take it back a step from what they did with K7 and the three different versions we now see, um, you know, there, there's just no doubt about it that a real tangible model holds up better than a CGI uh, duplicate of that same model. Well, let's say from the from the late '70s on up, it does. It struggles a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say the original K7 is as good as the the computer computer generated version in the remastered. But I, I I get where you're going with that, Zach, and I and I think it's it's fair because when you have that right mix, um, you you can tell, and and you're you're not susceptible, I guess, to uh, I guess how quickly technology becomes uh, how quickly technology improves and and can take away from it, but. They did it right with this. They really did. It was kind of cool. Okay, so let's 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 say so long to the television series. We move on to the movie era, and the first space station that we get to see right up in fr- right front and close and personal is Epsilon Nine uh, from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which I guess is 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 an outpost and a communications relay station, and it's it's pretty dang big and it's blue and it's got a lot of girders and i don't think it is until the director's cut that you get kind of a, a better full look at it um or when spock is going through V'ger, you kind of get a piece pieces of it but it's you it's uh, as it gets swallowed up by the cloud you can see that this is one big massive station very small control room by the way but a very <laughs> large station. yeah the thing about epsilon 9 is it, like you said ken you don't really get a good look at it until you know ironically after it's already been you know, assimilated by v'ger when spock is passing over it. it's like the epsilon epsilon 9 station recreated here in every detail right. uh and they you know they love showing off the special effects in the motion picture and, and they had such intricate models here you know i mean talking about uh the continuity of the original series you know this one it looks nothing like any like starship design, but but at the same time, that's kind of cool. Uh, it's just because the motion picture was about showing us things we had never seen before, and we certainly had never seen 
anything like this. And I could get you you get the vibe that it's that is like a relay station. It has a lot of what can be perceived as, you know, receivers mm-hmm. and transmitters and that's that's its function. So it's a very functional station. Like you're joking about the small control room. <laughs> People don't go there for, you know, the leisure of it all. They go there to I don't I I guess these people live here, right? I mean, unless well, sure. And, right? and, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and to your point, right, it's right on the Klingon boundary. So I'm sure it's loaded with sensors and scanning and, you know, it's trying to keep a track on what the quote unquote bad guys are up to. And you look at the uh, their ability to intercept the communications from the Klingon warship back to, to Kronos or wherever it was transmitting about what was an engaging is going on was was a huge tactical advantage for the Federation. Right. Gave them forewarning that this big cloud was coming. In 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 demonstration of its power, so it it served its purpose. Um, when they said it was going to enter space quite close to them, well, they really weren't kidding. You know, close being a relevant term in space, <laughs> where you could say, well, you know, it's an astronomical unit away, it's five, it's ten light years away, and that's relatively close. No, this thing just it it came right up on it. <laughs> it ate it right up. So, uh, it, kind of interesting there. But yeah, I I thought it was very practical, and it's designed for what it did. It made sense. And, uh, it, you know, just it kind of gave that, 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 that perspective of awe. It's like, well, look at this technology and, and look what we can do. This is, this is not K7, folks. I wonder if they ever made a model of Epsilon 9. I mean, I'm sure they did at some point. I'll have to go look that up. If anybody knows in the Babel Conference, let us know. Show, show us your model you put together of Epsilon 9 if you, if you have it. I've never seen a model of it. That, that would be such like an undercover Star Trek model to have. Like if you worked at like NASA or some science administration you just put that on your desk and people will think like oh this must be what they're working on but you know if you're a true star trek fan you're like oh it's epsilon nine yeah that's like the <laughs> the star trek litmus test if somebody's like excuse me sir is that from star trek the motion picture <laughs> so <laughs> i would love to have that model and put it on my desk it'd be a fun one to put together too you might be able to just pick up an erector set and reconstruct the thing that's true <laughs> <laughs> you can probably find all the pieces you need <laughs> there but that's not the only space station in uh Star Trek motion picture is it, Ken? Uh, no, it's not. We have... I, 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 the way I phrase it in this is the Space Yard Command Earth Orbit Space Dock, right? <laughs> that's outside of the Enterprise kind of refitting it. Uh, it's. I don't know if that's if it's just an orbital, orbital platform. Uh, so the, um, the work... I guess it's where the work teams, you know, come and go and carry their gear and so forth uh, back to back to the Enterprise. And right, because well, so, the Enterprise is in dry dock at this point. It's, it's, I, I always found it an interesting uh, separation of terms back when, you know, a young lad, I was reading the Star Trek encyclopedia every day learning about <laughs> learning about Star Trek. Uh, there was dry dock, which is in Star Trek, the motion picture in Star Trek 2, and then space dock, which we'll get to here soon, folks, in Star Trek 3 onward. But uh, they're different. They're not the same thing. So obviously, dry dock is just—it's a shell. That's all it is. It's to hold the ship there. Um, mm-hmm. And I assume all the people that you know, all the guys in the little worker bee shuttles and the guys in the spacesuits—they all their base of operations is this orbital complex that we're talking about here. I assume they come back and forth. I mean, that's where Kirk goes. To. He beams up there to fly over to the Enterprise. So um, you know, they have, yeah. they have a cool-looking transporter room, I guess. But that's really all we get to see of it. Well, we get to see a lot of the outside, and it's pretty intricate. And you know, they do a pretty good job of showing uh, uh, shuttles and containers leaving it. They show a worker bee carrying, looks like almost like a solar panel or something, right at the beginning, uh, kind of orbiting it. And what, what was kind of a really cool shot, um, one of the first ones I remember 
in in space was kind of the outside in, right? So when Kirk was beaming up, the camera is actually coming through the porthole at, at the very beginning. So they, they, they spent a lot of time looking at it and they put a lot of effort into it. Uh, and it has a long life, as we'll find out. But it's, uh, it, I, I thought it was really cool, and, and they, you know, it had a lot of, um, it had a lot of rings too. If you remember, it, it obviously it's stripped a lot when it's used again. But uh, in this in this version, it, it had a um, a tremendous amount of, um, or it seemed to be anyway. I guess uh, kind of like K seven, you know, it, it had the right. Uh, it has a central hub and the little arms that stick out. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it looks like an upside down Apollo module, you know, the little like conical bottom module, and then it has the little, I guess, what they're not spheres, but the circular, you know, things yep. that stick out. So, uh, what are those? Who knows? I'm sure this is Star Trek technical manual somewhere. They can explain all the operations of those things, but it, it's cool. And you know, you mentioned 2001 earlier, Ken, and, and that's where. The motion picture got a lot of its inspiration, clearly. It was trying to be 2001 A Space Odyssey, for better or for worse, in some people's opinions. But, you know, that's why we spend all this time on these models like this. You know, it reminds me of, you know, 2001, the wheel-looking thing that's on all the posters and all that. That's not the main ship. That's not the Discovery, which is the ship from 2001. That's just a space station that they spend a few minutes at and you go about your business. And that's what this reminded me of. Like, we're going to spend some time. This is space. Look at this. Isn't this cool? Okay, on, on to our main ship now. So... That's where they're coming from with it, and uh, you know, again, I love models, right? So cool to see another model <laughs> in the Star Trek movie. Yeah, it's a, and it's a great model. I, I also, I mean, and I think a piece of it too is, you know, we've had Star Wars, and we had a couple of well, many ripoffs after Star Wars that came out, but it was the first time that kind of showed Earthbound futuristic technology to that level, right? So that that was that was kind of a neat thing they did with it, I thought. So okay, uh, and so. If we move to Star Trek II, we happen to see this model you love again, don't we, Zach? <laughs> yeah, just turn it upside down. You know, there's no up and down in space, so this this, this makes sense, I guess. Uh, the uh, the regular one space station is this same model we were talking about from the motion picture. Again, the motion picture doesn't have a name, so it's going to be hard to refer to the two of them back and forth, but uh, we'll call it regular zero for the sake <laughs> of conversation and regular one here. So do you prefer the regular zero from the motion picture or regular one from the Wrath of Khan? Up or down, Ken? What's your preference? I, I like the motion picture version of it. Of course, uh, you do. of course you do. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know I love the motion picture. I get it. But the reason why is, one, I don't know if it's, you know, sharp eyes, sharp mind, whatever it was back in the day, but it was very easy to pick up what they did with that model. It, it wasn't it wasn't sophisticated enough where it was, they made a huge effort to, to hide it. And because I remember the details in the motion picture, um, the the color uh, was bright, the um, the arms with the discs and, and the different living platforms, if you call it, or office complex, um, it was it was just more intricate. And, and when they took all that stuff away, uh, they just, you know, they just, I think they enhanced its size. I think regular one was supposed to be a lot bigger. That would be my guess than, than the earth space dock. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of plain Jane, but it was fine. It served its, its purpose just fine. Um, it, you know, no issues there, but as, as far as technically how, how it looked and things like that, I just think that, uh, it had such an awesome introduction in the motion picture that it's reintroduction as kind of a scaled down version of that same thing flipped. Eh, it was it was cool. It's regular one. I don't I don't always look at it and say, oh, they should have left it alone, or they could have used the same model. Perhaps they could have, but 
it, it served its purpose, but I, I like the original look of it. It's just interesting to me that you can turn it upside down and it totally makes sense. Sure. Right, you don't look at it and say, oh, that looks wrong. Like Either way, it looks perfectly fine, and that's just a very interesting design. Clearly, it was designed one way, and they and then they decided... I mean, they were already using literally stock footage from the motion picture. If they're going to reuse a model, they said, well, we can maybe we can customize this a bit and get it, you know, make it not so cut and paste. And, you know, good for them. I mean, they put, it looks like they put some antennas at the top of it, which you know, in regular zero was the bottom. In regular one, it's the top. So that, that implies some kind of, you know, transmitter thing you see on all these domes and dishes around, you know, just technology. And, you know, we see it so often here, this same model, the regular one configuration, if you will, uh, moving forward to next generation and Deep Space Nine, that I'm just so used to seeing it that way. That's my preference. I mean, we see it in some, you know, famous episodes like The Measure of a Man. That's the star base they go to. Uh, The episode where Data's on trial, his sentience, his right to choose one of the best episodes of the next generation so that that's a that's where that trial takes place on the on that star base there and then of course we see it a few times in d space nine it's where eddington is in jail later on in season five of d space nine spoilers uh <laughs> and uh you know we see it crop up a few times in star trek and again i like that I like that continuity for a smaller scale star base it it's pretty cool and i like it well, they. I also think in Deep Space Nine, wasn't it the same model they used as their headquarters after they left uh, Deep Space Nine? And they thought they just painted it white and they they scaled it up. Did they paint it? I thought it was I'm white. Sure, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched the um, Deep Space Nine occupation arc in a while, but mm. uh, I do remember the Defiant is in that like in the central hub, and that kind of threw me off. Like, oh, <laughs> so that's what that is. Ships go in there, but the Defiant's really small. But uh, all these things are small, different. But yeah, that, that's that's how I kind of took it. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like I said, the model definitely served its purpose, and you wouldn't have been able to flip it with all the the um, the office components and all those uh, spires and, and 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 arms and discs. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked. Obviously, uh, it would it would have been that apparent. But yeah, hey, you know, like I said, that's that's kind of the thing, and you can play with the scale, and you can make it look any way you want. So don't get me wrong, I you know I'm I'm a big fan of of regular one and and its use going forward, and and I think as a um, as a TOS fan, uh, you you like to see your stuff being used over and over because you, you just like you know there's just a lot of it. We talk about how cheap the original series was. Well, there's being cheap and not having a lot of budget, uh, and there's also being um, restrainful and in, in using your money accordingly and in, in, in being innovative, right? Uh, I was I was watching um, Relics again, right? Remember we did the whole Starship show where we, <laughs> we talk about where models are used over and over? <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, that's from Star Trek Three, and they just put um, engines on the side. You know, they, they put... Uh, uh, on the, the Janolan. Yeah. On the Janolan, yeah. And I just went, oh, okay. So they... I was like, dang, this ship, you know, gets a lot of use. Uh, and, and it's it's kind of funny. And, and I always kind of smile at that and, and just kind of go, okay, you know, just just remember, folks, uh, a, a lot of things that you saw and enjoyed in a lot of those series come from these movies. And being frugal is is kind of a is a, is a Star Trek method of, of doing things for all the right reasons. And it hasn't been until the most recent movies where they've really just been, you know, wide open uh, the, uh, the pocketbook there. But Anyway, so leaving regular one, um, in in Star Trek three, now we really start to see them change the scale and scope of what you said was 
space dock, no longer a dry dock, right? Just an enormous orbiting space dock uh, that, that, that we see a lot. And uh, boy, it, it's, it's funny because they leave dry dock and come back to space dock. It's like, were they building this the whole time? That's, <laughs> that's kind of the way I, my that's fanboy what, justification is. Oh, well, you know, space dock was under construction during Star Trek 1 and 2. That's, that's what I think. Either that, it was just on the other side. I, I don't know. You know, it, it was it was it was pretty interesting, uh, because you would you would have thought that the um, the Excelsior would have been in a dry dock type situation versus a space dock, but yeah, like the Enterprise B is in Generations. You know, it's the same it's the same thing. But uh, that's that's weird. So so space dock here, right? It's introduced in Star Trek mm-hmm. three. Yeah. We see it in four, five, six. We right. see it in the Next Generation. I don't. I don't think we see it in Deep Space Nine, to be honest, uh, or nope. Voyager. I know Voyager. They go back to Utopia Planitia, and it's all dry docks. Yeah, it's all it's all dry docks. At, at Nemesis, we see dry dock. Uh, you know, the Enterprise yep. E comes home after getting really messed up at the end of Nemesis. And uh, all good. And all good things we see D in in dry dock. Oh, right, it, see the, that is that is is that not McKinley Station? Was it, was it McKinley? Yeah, yeah but it, didn't it have a... Well, it's like an octopus that... sitting on top of the saucer section. Oh, you're uh, right, you're right, you're right. Which, yeah. at the time, I thought, oh, this is the 24th century equivalent of a dry dock. But apparently it's not, because dry docks are still <laughs> there, you know, in the late 24th century with the oh, yeah, Voyager and yeah, uh, you're right, you're right. Nemesis and all that. But uh, so, so it's interesting to me that they... I, I guess where I was going with that was interesting to me they did not go back to space dock again for generations you know, I mean, they went back to Dry Dock, which is kind of a cool callback to the first. I mean, when I saw Enterprise B in Dry Dock, you think, oh, that's cool. Just like in the motion picture, we saw the first Enterprise mm-hmm. refit. But then you think, oh, well, well, the last like five movies, <laughs> you know, we've gotten we've gotten Space Dock. So what's up with that? And what you know, I, I guess the problem was they could not time the, the champagne bottle flying through space. They have to open the doors to Space Dock. You know, yeah. <laughs> Well, first of all, the design of space dock is is very impressive, and it, it you know as we talked about when we did Star Trek Three, kind of the origins, we we kind of hit on this a little bit that it's used a lot, and um, it's it's a great design. It's very practical, uh, you know. Uh, I I thought it was interesting that the scale of the space dock and how you know you obviously there's a big difference between the Enterprise A or the Enterprise refit and the Enterprise D. So I assume the space dock, wherever they were going, where they were in that that episode one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one zero zero one. Yes, that one. Uh, that, one. <laughs> that one. That one. That uh, one. The the Enterprise D obviously fits in there. No 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 problem. And it, it looked like uh, it had to be a bigger. A well, bigger I, I know that there was some behind the scenes discussion about this for that next generation episode. It was like, yeah, we know that it was the Enterprise A or the original Enterprise. But look, we have this footage. We can use it. Just go with us here, guys. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. So what do they do? Just superimpose the yeah. Team? So so they use. If you actually look at the the shot of of the Enterprise, you know, the original Enterprise, you know, from Star Trek Three, where it's going into space dock and then coming in and coming out. All the other composites were from Star Trek Three. They just okay. remove the original Enterprise and put in the Enterprise D. So if you oh, if you okay. look at those scenes back on like back to back or just split screen or whatever, the Enterprise D is going on the same exact path that the, the original Enterprise is going, and you see the Earth, the Moon, you see everything. It's the same shot. They just oh, put the Enterprise that. in. Okay. That's that's my understanding of how they did it. That's the way it seems to me, based off my knowledge of you know post production. But uh, 
I am willing to stand corrected if I am wrong about that. But uh, but yeah, th- th- that's why they were able to do that because you know, Next Generation is starting out. They didn't. They just all they had was access to the the models and some stock footage from you know the first three four movies. You know that's why we saw the Klingon battle cruiser in the first couple of uh, seasons of Next Generation. Uh, stuff like that. So I- I'm glad they did because I like space stock. And man, it, it, like you said, it has to be huge in there. Because not only does it, you know, the Enterprise, you know, the, the original Enterprise is pretty big. The Enterprise D is even bigger. But, you know, we're TOS here. Let, let's focus in on the original series movies. The Enterprise, mm-hmm. there's a door that it goes in, right? But mm-hmm. then once it gets in, it's like this huge space. Like, you could probably fit probably 10 ships in there, huh? That's right. That's right. Now, you know, you, you think about the size of the Excelsior, and then you had whatever was going to become the 1701A on the other side, whether no, I've heard yeah, a lot I, of guess, I guess so. I guess it's in there somewhere, right? <laughs> there. Yeah, it's in there, right? Whether it's the Tai Ho or whatever they call it. And there's, you know, it's, it's funny from, um, from book to, that is one thing from a Canon point of view. Uh, it seems really messed up. Like they, they, they took an old constitution class refit enterprise and, and they renamed it to, no, it's a brand new starship, which that seemed to be what the movie was implying. Um, and you know, they, they put it together so fast it, it didn't work very well, right? That's why Star Trek five is what it is. But at any rate, um, that, that ship was off to the right somewhere of the Excelsior. And then I think in one scene, you can kind of see a Reliant vessel or, um, a similar starship on the left. So yeah, well, I I think what you're, what you're talking about there is the original, um, one of the original models that they were going to use for uh, Star Trek phase two. The Enterprise, the unused Enterprise model, is used in the in space dock. There, you actually get to see it. That's one of those one of the only other ships you see in space dock there. And, and if you've seen like production art for um, Phase Two or even Planet of the Titans, the canceled Star Trek movie before Star Trek: The Motion Picture, I'm not sure exactly which. It's just it's just this model that they had, and it wasn't like quite like you know it didn't fit anymore in the Star Trek universe, right? But they could put it in scenes where, like, okay, we need something in the background. We need to fill this fill this scene in here. So we, we, we get to see a little bit of it here in Star Trek Three when the Enterprise shows up uh, uh, in Space Dock. And that's, I think that's what you're talking about, Ken. Yeah, maybe. I, I um, Boy, you know, it's funny. And this is, this is a time where we have to pull in our buddy Aaron Harvey when we talk about that, that, that timeline between Phase 2 and the motion picture. So there is a movie poster with that Phase 2 version of Enterprise on it, right? It's got the, uh, the nacelles from the refit. It's got the, um, the dish from the old. And it's, you know, kind of a combination of the two. And it's got the whole cast and pictures on the bottom. And it's funny. I had an opportunity not that long ago to actually buy a... Um, a the entire cast um, signed poster of that uh, Star Trek motion picture uh, coming soon trailer with that that Phase Two Enterprise on it, but I passed on it. Um, just wasn't my. I love the picture, um, but for the money they were looking for, the uh-uh. but anyway. <laughs> well, I actually, I did get that poster, not the full size you were talking about, but like the a miniature size, like a you know the, a mini poster of that. And I, that I actually like that because it's got the dish on it. You know, from the original series, but it has the re- the refit and the cells. I'm like, man, if that was like, you know, kid, if they if they ever reboot Star Trek one day, that <laughs> that should be the design they use. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I think for the TV show, it would have worked out fine. I um, I, you know, I like you know, I'm awfully prejudiced because I love the refit Enterprise, but and I and I think it's a better design. But what I what I didn't realize is that that model was ever came to fruition. I hadn't read that anywhere. And I didn't realize that was in the movies or in. And I know there was a lot of prototype broken models and things like that that they threw in 
um, you know, in the in the ship depot and in Wolf three five nine. But I never realized that 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 ship was was there. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna be searching for that shot of that ship in in space dock. As we've been talking here, I've been I've been multitasking. I, I looked up the exact facts, so you okay. guys don't have to correct us now. They call it the flat hull Enterprise because it's it's very flat. Uh, it actually looks a lot like the Discovery looks. Okay, yeah, you guys all remember all the recent discussion about the the Discovery uh, that was teaser. Just a drawing though, yeah, they actually yeah. made that. Th- yeah, so 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 Ralph McQuarrie, you know the Ralph guy who McQuarrie, you know, right? did a lot of the artwork for Star Wars, and you know that the, they're still using drawing from his artwork as inspiration today in the Star Wars movies. But uh, he made this Enterprise in the late '70s, and it was for uh, Planet of the Titans, which right. was the uh, the movie that was in 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 the works, you know, pre motion picture, you know, Phase Two time. But when they decided to go forward with Phase Two, the TV show, they canceled this model design. They wanted to go, you know, more simple, more more like the original series, since it was going to be on the original series. So they canceled it. But they did design a model, and they had it. So they used it. For, you know, it, it wasn't quite ready for the limelight or anything. But they did use it in background images. It was, it was you know, as a concept model. You know, to, uh, proof proof of. You know, proof of fill in the blank, proof of concept. There we go. That's the terminology I'm looking for. So that's where it came from, and that's where it is, and that's in space dock, which I thought was cool. And you know, I actually am surprised that they didn't throw in like a Reliant class vessel in there. Maybe you think maybe viewers of the '80s would have been confused. Like, didn't that ship just blow up in the last movie? What's it doing here? Maybe they weren't familiar with the fact that this is a fleet of ships and there's only one of each. Think that might have been a factor, or no? I don't think so. I think it would have been. I think we. I think we. I think we would have been okay um, if if there's if there's one ship that we see an awful lot of, it's the Reliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think we get we get enough of that. As boy, it, as do it goes. They, boy, did they just exploit the heck out of it? But um, yeah, but let's let's talk more about space. I know we're going to hey standard orbit yeah, tangents. It's our thing, right? Let's talk more about space dock here. Uh, let's go back there. Yeah, I, I I like space dock because it's it's like a, it's like a whole other world up there. You know, I mean, they, there's like restaurants. You see, you, you know, bars and stuff. Like uh, people live here. Maybe I, I get the if you're stationed on Space Dock, I'm sure you live there. I got um, the impression that that's where Kirk met the Admiral. Uh, right. Yeah, in the Space Dock, a bar yeah. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> well, that they, yeah, the space bar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, see, that's more like the space lounge. Whereas McCoy goes like the space bar, right? It's like the the, the well, knockoff thought, uh, Star Wars cantina that he goes in, people are playing like Tron biplanes and there's tribbles. <laughs> I guess because they went back to Kirk's quarters, I thought that that uh, McCoy was back on Earth for the bar. Really? Uh, maybe so. Yeah. Uh, who knows? It doesn't matter. But yeah, it's that. That's, there's a lot that's, going on in Space Dock. That's what we're saying. There's a lot going on, and, and maybe the funny farm is in uh, in Space Dock. I, I don't know. Don't they have like jail cells or holding cells in like? professional sports stadiums for like unruly fans and stuff oh yeah especially so, philadelphia yeah, yeah. Well, they're, <laughs> they're just so, mean in philadelphia yeah. so if they have them there i'm sure space dock is a holding cell of some kind you know when you bring in a hostile you know you don't know if you're bringing in somebody and a ship comes in and they have a hostile in their brig and they transfer them to space dock you know because mm-hmm. you know i remember on starship the next generation all the time they pick up these these guest stars of the week and they foil their plan they're like we're gonna drop you off at Starbase Five Seven Nine for you know, and I'm like, well, I'm sure they put you in one of these holding cells. So that's what I always thought that McCoy was in when they break him out in Star Trek Three. I always thought all this was on the space dock. Well, it could very well be. I, I have no idea. I, I like I said, I, I I just took it from once they went to Kirk's Earth. Uh, I can't speak well. Once they went to Kirk's quarters on Earth back in San Francisco, that's where I thought a lot of the stuff was happening. Back at Starfleet HQ. Now, if you lived in the 23rd century, would you want to live? On space dock? 
If I was always on a ship, no. (laughs) (laughs) If it was just a duty assignment, sure, why not? You know, you can you can beam home, you can do whatever you want. It's it's not too bad. Yeah, I I would imagine that there's there's a lot of places to um, to be stationed, just like um, Captain Cisco and that that whole team, right? There's yeah, there's there's got to be support stations, just like you would in the fleet. You know, there's naval support activity stations all around the world, and and this is probably more akin to when um, when exploration and you you went for, you know uh, more towards um, coal for ships power. You needed coaling stations and and support more than you need now because you got nuclear and you can you can unwrap underway. So yeah, I I, I would say that yeah that the, the majority of Starfleet personnel are probably not on a ship. You know, my guess if it was real <laughs> if it was real. Anyway, all right, so. Um, are we good with space talk, or do we want to? Are we ready to move on to? Yeah, the... we can. Uh, we can clear all moorings and and move out. All right, we are leaving. Warning: uh... space doors are closed. <laughs> Warning: space doors are closed. Yeah, and no that, one's in the office. That that is my favorite. <laughs> that is, you know, I often go back and forth about this. Like favorite scenes in Star Trek. We always talk about the first scene in Star Trek Nine, and probably yeah. is the favorite scene. If if probably it's solid number two for me is the stealing the Enterprise scene. It's a pretty Trek cool 3. scene. Yeah, it is a fun scene. But anyway, let's let's move on. Let's steal the Enterprise and move on <laughs> uh, to the Kelvin timeline, Ken. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in 09, we, we, we only see just for a second, uh, and I think we see it in Into Darkness in the background maybe a little bit. I, I don't really recall. But there is an orbiting platform uh, type space station for the fleet, right? There's there's four or five starships that are that are moored. Uh, nose first uh, onto this thing, and it's it's kind of interesting because when the shuttles approach the the new Enterprise, it doesn't look like it's attached, but yet they clear all moorings and pull away. So I I, I kind of I guess the very very front of it or somewhere along the line they're attached to this thing, but we don't we don't get to see it other than for a few seconds and off they go. So I, not a lot to say about that platform other than that's all it seems to be is a. Uh, a big parking spot, you know. There's no giant space dock here. Right. It's uh, it's it's all uh, it's all external. But it, it uh, makes more. At least it makes up. a lot more practical sense, though, doesn't it? Than a space dock. Like if you're mm-hmm. gonna have a ship, like why waste the space? Because space dock has to be so big because these ships have to fit inside it. When if they're gonna dock anyway, why not just attach like these do? Now I did find it weird, like you said, like the, it's like saucer to saucer because this this mm-hmm. space station here, like it, you know, it's actually it's kind of a lot like a regular zero from uh, the motion it picture is. right where it's got these these um uh, discs that that come out from the center and that's where the ship's attached to obviously much bigger than regular zero regular let's make that thing everybody regular zero all right i want everyone to refer <laughs> to the motion picture space station as regular zero from now on but <laughs> um yeah you didn't really see because you know talking about you know uh Rathcon, when they have little pods that go in and out motion picture next generation when you see people walking across enterprise d to uh, you know not space dock, but the space dock design place they're docked to. Uh, it, it's just weird to see the ships just park saucer to saucer like that. Like, I guess there's some kind of attachment, but I, I would have thought they're, you know, look, we're used to what we've seen in the other Star Trek movies. I thought they're going to go side to side and they have the little, you know, the little bridge that pops out and all that kind of thing. But yes, interesting to see. Uh, they do different things. They do things differently in the Kelvin timelines because they did those sensor scans and the Narada and all the technology is so advanced now, Ken. That explains it all, right? So That's right. <laughs> But they warp out of there real quick, and that's really the last we see of um, of this new design. So yeah, and then 
what I thought was really cool because I, th- I think we can blast right past uh, into darkness into mm-hmm. beyond. 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 We get to I, I, <laughs> the largest, most ingenious space station outpost, massive snow globe gizmo you've ever seen in in Yorktown Station. It's uh, it's it's just incredible, and and obviously it's a very big focal point of of the whole movie. I think it's the first thing that I liked about was its its purpose uh, in in the reason it was built, and it made sense to me, especially when you know you you take the geo geopolitical aspect of what's going on in today's world, and um, you know yeah you have the UN in New York City and and you have you know, in Brussels and things, but it's it's just it just makes sense in order to show no favoritism whatsoever. They build this platform as a sign of unity, and not this platform, this huge space station. It's got millions, or at least a million people. I mean, it's just every, every um, I don't know what you'd call it, every ring has seems to have its own set of sky, skyscrapers, mm, right? Buildings yeah. and so forth. And it's, you know, it, it almost had a, um, a Disney feel to it, you know, as you were watching those high-speed trams zipping by. Yeah, it was very Epcot Center, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it really was. And the music was kind of flowing. And, you know, it was... It was made as a as as a cultural center where all these different species of the Federation come together uh, to learn, live, build, and you know uh, it it has it has everything. I mean, it had its own uh, fighters, it had its own uh, protective ring of satellites. It, you know, it it seemed like it was pretty well protected overall. I think they they definitely took it into account, uh, and it took quite a wallop uh, when you think about it. But just the ingeniousness of it, I mean, just watching a starship enter it, and then you're watching the ship fly through the center, through that tube, the whole nine yards, I was like, man, this thing is really cool. And, um, you know, I don't know how many different uh, entry and exit points it had, but yeah, I was I, I was blown away from this. I, I thought conceptually it was, it was beyond, there's that word again, um, anything we've seen in Star Trek, but also from just a... You know, you think of Deep Space Nine, you think of Babylon 5. I'm trying to think of where, you know, you have these uh, man-made, you know, like the Death Star, I guess, is probably bigger. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there, there, there really wasn't much. It, it definitely was the most complex um, uh, space station uh, piece of technology that, that we've ever seen in Star Trek. And I, I thought they did a, a beautiful design, jo- a beautiful job designing it. Yeah, I mean, talk about just practicality i i did you know i was talking about how space stock like why did you make this giant center for the spaceships to fit in they should just dock i'm just saying that but this makes sense because they they enterprise they go in this you know pathway and then and they just kind of stay in this tube if you will you know mm-hmm. once they get in there and that's that's a nice logical place to store spaceships because obviously there's going to be a lot of dead space inside this spherical starbase planet uh, I assume all this stuff is on the inside, like you know where, where the planet core would be if it was a real planet. But since it's not, they can take advantage of all this space, and that's where they store all the starships. You know, they're building starships there. I mean, we're, we were talking about how they were allegedly constructing or refitting the Yorktown into the Enterprise A back in space dock. Well, here they actually mentioned that they were you know building their next ship, uh, right. and that obviously becomes the Enterprise A. It was I don't know if they mentioned in the movie that it's supposed to be the Yorktown. Or or not, but they never uh, they ne- they just they just said it's a that they're building a, a the only starship that um, had 
had better capabilities than the Enterprise was still under construction mm, is how exactly, they worded it. Yeah, so. so they they didn't have a name for it. No. So it's interesting that this this has many purposes, right? And I really like that as well. How the, the logic of Spock explaining to McCoy, like you know, do the geopolitical reasons that they don't want to show favoritism by being on a planet. That would that makes a lot of sense. I mean, who says the Kelvin time the Kelvin timeline films are not relevant to today's you know political atmosphere or cultural situations going on? I thought it was very clever, very subtle thing to address as you said and you know but they have that they have starship construction going on it's and it's just a very lively place people can go, you can go outside and there's a sky and there's grass and there's kind of like a dyson sphere i guess right because like a is there a sun where's this light come from i don't know <laughs> but uh i, I really <laughs> well, like an orbit, it. <laughs> it must be an orbit over something i don't know yeah but... no, that's true the planet it's around or the sun that's around that's true so do you, do you think this was just kind of took the, the gravitational like rotation of a planet is that what you're thinking ken I don't know. I, I guess I haven't thought through it as much. I, I assume because of its shape that it, that it can do that. Uh, one, one of the things that I have in my head, Ken, and which, which makes me really appreciate the, the Yorktown design, is that the, all the, you know, so many different planets come together to build this thing. And that, that helps me kind of justify not only its existence, but its sophistication, mm, right? It's yeah, not good just, point, good point. You know, we, we definitely look at um, a lot of the technology in Star Trek, which was always kind of confusing for me, and I know Enterprise addresses it better. But, you know, it isn't until there's a lot of conflicts in Enterprise and so forth that um, there's a real sharing of technology. To me, it, it always seemed much more plausible that all these, um, these warp drive societies come together and you're able to enhance your your technology. It isn't you know an Earth ship, a Vulcan ship, or this ship or that ship. Um, it's a Federation ship, and this to me is a true Federation outpost um, with the best of all worlds incorporated in it. And uh, you know when you talk about Star Trek Utopia, you do not see it anywhere in any episode of Star Trek. You really don't. You hmm. you, you make a few landings on on Earth. It's usually at the Academy. Or maybe uh, Cisco's dad's restaurant, but you don't <laughs> see it, you don't feel it, you just are told about it, right? That it's a paradise, and Earth has become a paradise. This is the first time you see Federation, quote unquote, kind of a united, um, uh, you know, peoples all in one spot, um, you know, clean, safe. Um, accepting, you know, aliens walking around and everything, and, and they don't do it like a cheap Star Wars ripoff at all. You know, you kind of <laughs> feel like this is this is what it is. This is what they, you know, they, they've been intending to have all along. And to me, that's the greatest thing about Yorktown Station and its concept. It's 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 the only place in Star Trek we see what they've been telling us we've had. Wow, well, that's that's hard to top right there, Ken. I don't know what else I can add to that because that's, that is an excellent point about how this is like Star Trek and its philosophy just epitomized in this in this space station. And that's why Beyond is is a great Star Trek movie. You know, it really is for 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 many reasons, but little things like that too. It's like here, here's the Federation. Like we can finally show it to you. We have the budget, we have the technology. Here it is, guys. Here's the future we could have. So that's, you know, that that's great to see and you know, I you know, knock on wood, we're going to get some more Star Trek Kelvin timeline movies and you know, we'll, maybe we can see more uh, space stations like this, Yorktown, maybe, maybe the Yorktown again, maybe something similar in the future. I know it's the most advanced, but clearly the next movie will take place a little bit in the future, so we can stop on by. I just want to stop on by, though. I don't want to spend the whole time there, right? I'm, I like a movie in deep space. Let's just stop on by, see what's up, and <laughs> go about our business. But 
you know, these these space stations really they, they just give scope. They really paint a, a greater paint the greater canvas of the Star Trek universe because if everybody was just in a spaceship the whole time, like you were saying, you wouldn't get to see any of this stuff. So that, that that's cool. It really fleshes out the Star Trek universe, gives us more toys to buy, models to build <laughs> as well. Is, <laughs> so it, sure. is there a Yorktown model out there? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't want to put that thing together. That if you want a like a project, that's one to put together. Goodness gracious. Well, it's been fun discussing Star Trek space stations and everything in between this week on Standard Orbit, but this isn't the only thing that's being talked about on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Wow, that was very Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) You had a lot of pauses in there. I like that. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Sugar and spice and everything nice, yes, we know, but that's never mentioned in the episode at all. Like, you think there would be some tag scene with everybody on the bridge and Kirk saying that to himself and Spock says, Spice Captain? <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> I guess so. Earl Grey. And then as kind of a teenager, I kind of drifted a bit from Star Trek. And, you know, I pretended one time when I went to see Star Trek Nemesis that I was actually off to see Elf instead because that sounded cooler than seeing Star Trek Nemesis. And um, maybe it still is. To the journey! <laughs> See, now, now I'm picturing, like, old Seven of Nine at the end of Titanic. You know, she's got the doctor's medical tricorder in her hand, and she lovingly tosses it over the Beautiful. side of the ship at the end of the episode. Oh. No, she has the mobile emitter. The mobile, yeah, the, the mobile yeah, she emitter. she takes the doctor's mobile yes. emitter and throws it overboard. Perfect. I love this. The 602 Club. I thought it was a great story about, you know, perseverance and the courage to act even when you don't know how the outcome's going to to come. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. If you'd like to get in touch with us, here at Trek.fm, you can always find us on Trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek.fm, Facebook.com slash Trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash FM. and you can, you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So... For $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the Roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love 
our associate producers. So please, 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 if you if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, we'd like to thank Renee Roberts and Aaron Harvey. Thank you so much, always, for your support for both Standard Orbit and the Trek FM Network. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter. So if you're looking for me on the network, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm always on there. Uh, Pre, post shows, talking different subjects with all our listeners. And you can also find me on Twitter at Boston SCPO. That means Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show from the early 2000s. And we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well. It's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything, really. Love to talk to you guys on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. And join us again next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit.